from Fox 8 Sports. You're listening to Fox 8 Overtime. From Fox 8 Studios in New Orleans, welcome into Overtime, the podcast for all things sports, all things Louisiana, and everything in between. Alongside John Bennett producing, I'm Chris Hagan. Today we are talking LSU football surviving Auburn in Tiger Stadium. But first, we want to remind you, to subscribe to this podcast. Also, please rate and review it and tell your friends. And if you want to get in touch with us, use the Final Play app or Tiger Huddle app to submit a question. Now, John Bennett, let's get to it. LSU defeats Auburn 23-20. to uh, Again, a game that they survived in Tiger Stadium. Wasn't pretty, but they got the job done. They're 8-0 for the first time since 2011. It is their fourth, fifth ever 8-0 start, 1908, 1958. And 1973, Ed Ogeron is now 3-0 against Auburn, the team that was the eventual downfall of his predecessor, Les Miles. Yeah, and that's a that's a good team and a good rivalry to to be so good against. Um, a little closer than a lot of people thought, though. 23 to 20. Um, I'm not sure what the closing line was, but I'm pretty sure throughout the week it was around 10 and a half, yeah. 10 points. And, and that uh, speaks to points left on the board. Yeah. Is that uh, where we start? A lot of points left on the board. Yeah, and and look, not not necessarily points that um, Auburn took away, but just LSU opted to go for it on fourth and down a couple times. I don't know if that was a lack of faith in special teams, and we saw the missed extra point. It wasn't really Katie York's fault. It was a bad snap and hold, but um, there were some issues there. But I, I don't know. I, I thought that there were certainly six points out there that LSU could have gotten – um, that I guess at home, you know, you, you have faith in the offense. I guess the, the, the home crowd makes up for a couple points, but it could have been a little more comfortable there had they um, taken field goals instead of missing on some fourth and ones. I think it just speaks to how aggressive this offense is and continuing that all the way to fourth down. That being said, the play calls weren't that aggressive down there. Yeah, they weren't, they weren't special. Um, Auburn has a very good defensive interior, and that's where they tried to pick up some of those first downs on uh, short situations. And running Clyde Edwards-Alaire into that um, without a fullback wasn't going well. And particularly the 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 drive that bothered me, or the ending to the drive that bothered me most, was at the goal line when they go inside zone, Burrow run inside zone, and then they tried the you know Michael Thomas play the fall-in screen where you hit the receiver and he's right there and kind of just gets forward into the end zone and they missed on that it was a very slow developing play yeah Didn't look normally we ran. see that as a really quick play it's a it's Bridgewater a quick hit. or breeze are really good about yeah as they're pulling it out snap from under center they're getting boom the bar. yeah and um but I think Auburn was also ready for it I mean that's a play that if I see that formation I see Clyde Edwards-Alaire out there, and I see him motion in. I'm like, this is the play. Um, you can, I mean, as people who watch LSU and the New Orleans Saints a lot, we can see that formation when it's coming. And so that's why, the, I mean, the fake that the, the Saints used when they ran it last time against uh, Jacksonville that they missed was so good because teams see it coming. And, and yeah. Auburn saw it coming, and they stopped it. And so the creativity just wasn't there. Um you got to have a counter. If that's going to be your go-to play, you need to have a counter, and you, that's what the Saints need to have a counter. showed for the first time in a few years. I mean, 
if you want to talk about, and we love to talk about, you know, Joe Brady coming from the Saints and one thing they do well, Peyton gets really creative. And it's the good creative now. Like, there was a time in Peyton's tenure. <laughs> you mean when the, it, the reverse to Josh Hill against the Jets yes. in uh, 20. Or like a third and one when you've got, like, you know, Mike Bell or somebody and you're revert, you're doing like a reverse to Reggie or something. Like, he's gotten the good creative. Yeah. Um, one of my favorite plays he's ever run was the Kobe Fleener end around against the Panthers. Yeah. I think that was a fourth down inside the, the five. And stuff like that, you know. Um, you show it. And it, the whole existence of Taysom Hill has been a tremendous making the defense think twice, making the special teams coverage unit think twice before they do anything on their end because you never know when Taysom Hill is going right. to bite you or when Zach Lyons is going to run an option. And LSU doesn't have a Taysom Hill, obviously, but they've got athletes. They've got bodies. Yeah. I mean, it wasn't – it was a couple of years ago. It was, I believe, the Auburn game in 2017, I think, where Stephen Sullivan had an, had an end around, and that wasn't in uh, Matt Canada's offense. But point being, you've got guys that, like, if you wanted to run something like that Kobe Fleener – um, play or you wanted to run something where you get somebody in motion like you've got the athletes you've got the bodies um, we've seen Clyde Edwards Lara throw a pass before get, just get creative is my you, you got to give the defense one more thing to think about and I mean we're, we're nitpicking here because the offense has been great all season but they have now had their two lowest scoring performances is that cause for concern it's it's not cause for concern, I think, from an execution standpoint on LSU. I just think teams are starting to defend them better. Um, we're starting to see we, – we saw the delayed blitz um, against Mississippi State that was effective. And now probably for a couple games, including at times against Florida, we saw – or we're seeing defenses opt to rush three or four and drop more guys back in coverage and make LSU beat them that way. Um on Saturday, Auburn did a great job taking away the middle of the field, and that's you know obviously a big part of where Joe Burrow works with those routes, those drag routes, those dig routes, those over routes, especially in man coverage. You are running away from defenders, so those guys catch it and go, and that's where we've seen LSU make a lot of big plays. They weren't there. Um, and as, as a result, you saw Clyde Edwards-Alaire with seven catches for 51 yards, Thaddeus Moss seven for 45. Those guys were able to get out in the flats on the out routes, and get some easy, albeit short, yardage there. And then Jamar Chase, he ended up having that 45-yarder late uh, that gave him eight catches for 123 yards. Justin Jefferson, seven for 60. And then Terrace Marshall in his return had two catches for 29 yards. And I really thought that first catch, the touchdown, was kind of a sign of the red zone, not woes, but they, they were slowed down in the red zone last week against Mississippi State. And I was thinking that maybe the return of Marshall, the third receiving option, the fifth receiving option when you go five wide, that that would make a big difference. And ultimately, we saw Auburn's D-line was just so good. That I think that the best option for LSU was the play they ended up scoring on with Joe Burrow running up the middle. Mm -hmm. Take a second. It was five wide. He drops back, lets the defense disperse. The linebackers drop back, and then he just – waltzes in for yeah that was a weird one because I, I mean I would have assumed they had they would have had someone spy Burrow or just be aware of the fact that okay we're in man this guy's a good with decision three defensive maker. linemen yeah like it's gonna and it was wide open yeah it, it, I don't even know if he needed to 
drop back and wait as long as he did. He could have just gone. Yeah. Um. So the red zone uh, issues. I don't. I don't want to call them issues. I, I guess just lack of play calling, lack of creativity. Well, so we're finally here. It's finally Bama week before Bama week. So it's it's no longer premature to start looking ahead to Alabama. So when you start looking ahead to Alabama, you got to score. You 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 can't leave those points on the board. Yeah, and that's that's the number one thing I've harped on is the fact that whoever beats LSU is going to have to outscore them, and good luck stopping LSU from getting down the field. But when they get in the red zone, that's kind of been their only Achilles heel. Like you mentioned, I think having Marshall back and a six four guy in there. Um, certainly helps in that regard where LSU did a lot of their red zone damage really all year because it's sneaky how much they run the ball, but they've done a good job mixing in those runs and Clyde Edwards, the layer. He had 26 carries yesterday. Yeah, he was a workhorse, Um, but that wasn't there. Auburn was really good against the run. So I think that's an area that, you know, they're going to have to improve in. And again, it's on tape now. I think teams know how they want to defend LSU a little bit better it's on LSU to do a good self-scout, and you've got two weeks now. Any, anything you've been saving, any tricks, any different looks you've got, I think this is where we see it come out. This is why you like having the bye week, because it does give um, LSU the chance to uh, look at themselves. And that's it's cliche, but you hear teams talk about it all the time when you get to a bye week, and the value of it is you have at least a week to really say, okay, how can we get better? That's why you see teams, and, and LSU has a history of performing pretty well in bowl games because you, you have that time to, to look back at yourself and see what you're doing, not just solely focusing on game planning for an opponent. It's time, it, it's, it's a chance for big fixes. or um, not. In L- I don't think LSU needs big fix, but rather just maybe adding something or um, improving or um, expounding upon something. Is it a missed opportunity that they weren't able to put anything on tape that will give Alabama an extra concern on offense? Like we talked about the Saints working in there. You can call them trick plays, gadget plays. Would that have been beneficial if they had worked in something that would give Alabama a reason not to copy the playbook of Auburn and Mississippi State? No. Well, I don't know. I don't think so. I think – I think anything that you would try to catch Alabama sleeping on, I would like them to be the first to see it. Um, I don't know that I would uh, bank on putting something out there that would um, maybe make them overthink or anything like that. I think with LSU, they're so good at what they do. What you see is what you're going to get. It's about going out there and being able to execute that. But again, maybe having some different formations, going, doing some different things with different guys. Um, if there's another way to get Clyde Edwards to layer the ball or some interesting ways to get him the ball that we haven't seen um, when he lines up as a receiver, pull those out. Um, I think there are things out there that, that they can do with all the playmakers that they have. On defense, do you think this was LSU's best game yet? I do because I think this was – one of the better offenses um, in terms of quality that they've played. I think Florida is probably a, a little more polished because they've got, I guess, more veteran <laughs> quarterbacks. Say. Like, you know, I, I don't want to call Kyle Trask veteran, but he's not a true freshman. Yeah. I mean, he's at least been in college for a little while. And they used Emory in, in smart ways. They didn't expose him. Right. Um, Mississippi State – 
was is just not a good offense. Um, but Auburn was a team that Gus Malzahn game plans well. Um, Bo Nix has shown improvement. I know it was Arkansas, but they put a lot of points on the board a week ago. And they're capable. I mean, Nix made some quality plays with his legs, with his arm. Um, they showed the ability. He's got to, arm talent. Yeah, to, they showed the ability to drive the ball down the field. So for LSU to make the plays, and it wasn't always flashy. I know Derek Stingley had the interception. But the amount of three and outs they had in that fourth quarter and um, you know managing to get the ball back and, and stopping Auburn, and then when it counted – um, you know, getting some sacks and getting some pressure and putting them behind the chains, that worked. Um, so I do think it was one of the better games they played in terms of a of a getting stop standpoint. The turnovers weren't always there, but they got stops. Definitely, you look at that second half. You're talking about three plays, one yard; three plays, four yards; three plays, negative three yards; three plays, two yards; four plays, negative one yards; eight plays, twenty-five yards; and then finally the. Uh, the touchdown at the end on four plays, 49 yards. I just really thought the defense, as much as the offense has carried the load through much of the first half of the season, the defense did that. You look at the goal line situations they faced, or with 99 yards behind them, they didn't budge uh, in those situations after LSU's offense lost so much momentum on the goal line. Yeah, and that's the that's part, I guess, confidence that that Ogeron has in him. Um, when you're going to go for it on fourth and goal, or and, and you know fourth and one, and and take those gambles, you've got to know that your defense could come out there and and get the job done. They were able to do that well enough um, to uh, keep Auburn from getting into the game, or, or I should say, taking a, a lead late there, or really getting anything going, but. Um, it was certainly a good game that they played. It's just, it's a whole nother animal when you're when you're facing Alabama, and it's going to be a team that can move the ball down the field to a tongue of a lower or not. And I, I think they can throw the ball. They've got talented a full receivers. arsenal of receivers. Yeah, that's going to be the challenge uh, for that for that secondary, covering all those guys. But I think the secondary played their best game yet, and maybe that's as much of a commentary on Bo Nix really spraying the ball around at times. But I mean, Derek Stingley. Locked down Williams with the exception of that miracle, like 30 yard catch on the sideline. Mm-hmm. And then Kerry Vincent seemed to be making plays. He did. He played, he played a little bit better. Um, there weren't, you know, t- uh, too many explosive plays, not a lot of penalties back there. Um, I think Delpit's going to be fine. I think Delpit looks, I mean, he looks like he was fighting to get Oger- back in the Ogeron game. Ogeron didn't sound overly concerned about. Delpit or Stingley, so that's certainly good news because those are two guys you absolutely have to have on the field. You need all the playmakers you can get because I think it's one of those it's going to be one of those games where it's going to be a play or two on defense that can change it. It might not be the whole overall effort because Bama's going to get theirs, but it's going to be a couple plays, so you need those playmakers, the guys that can make the picks or force the pressure or make something happen. Yeah, you had the Stingley interception that prevented Auburn from scoring at the end of that the first half. That was huge. It was. But then you also remember Stingley almost had a pick six and Fulton almost had a pick six. But uh, Gary Danielson on the CBS broadcast pointed out like it was a bad throw that yeah. wasn't catchable for the receiver or the quarterback. Yeah. Otherwise, if it had been a good throw, Stingley had it. the corners are taking it to the house. Yeah. And I think those are the plays. I mean, I'll make a rough – like 
the Kansas State game yesterday beating Oklahoma, they capitalized on every turnover that Oklahoma gave them. They capitalized on every opportunity. And there's a huge disparity between Kansas State and LSU. I'm not at all making that parallel. But Alabama, we see it so often, they play at a near flawless level. That's Nick Saban. He's maniacal about that. I mean, you heard his press conference this last week where he's getting upset about the prospect of Tua's little brother playing because the point is they just got to get out and play. He's, he went off on his rant. But he is maniacal about that, and he doesn't let his guys make mistakes. When they do make a mistake, LSU's going to have to capitalize. Got to. Um, that is That's going to be the name of the game. And, again, going back to Texas, the one of the few teams that's been able to push them offensively and score with them, it was the fourth down stops inside the five. It was um, a Caleb on chase on sack that forced Texas to punt, and LSU was able to get the ball back and score before half and make it 20-7. to seven. It's things like that that are going to go a long way in creating any kind of separation to either take a lead, get in the game, or like break the score-for-score score pace if it comes to that. And it's the defense making the plays to erase the offense's mistakes. In that game, you had Burroughs deflected pass that was intercepted the defense stepped up made a fourth down stop and then in the florida game you had Derek stingley making the interception in the end zone after he had been targeted the drive before but he made that interception to stop florida's score for score pattern and then yesterday he stopped auburn at the end of the first half when they could have gotten at least three points out of that situation it's gonna be interesting to see how lsu approaches alabama defensively um I haven't gone back to rewatch the LSU game, but from what I saw, they weren't blitzing much. Like when when they were when it was a, a three nothing game, and before LSU scored a touchdown, they weren't bringing a lot of uh, bringing much pressure, much added pressure. And I feel like it's because they didn't want to expose themselves to a big play and, and dig the hole any deeper. They get up seven to three in that next drive. They're coming after Bo Nix, and it was a similar effect later in the game after they scored a touchdown. I think it was to make it. 16-13, or maybe he was even the one after that when they made it um, 23-13 that they started coming after Bo Nix again. And so they want, they, they feel more comfortable blitzing and exposing themselves on the backside a little bit more um, when they have a lead. That's not uncommon. I mean, most coaches, I feel like, are going to take the risk when they can afford to um, have a little breathing room. But against Alabama, if that breathing room's not there and you got to get pressure on Tua or whoever's at quarterback, I think you got to bring it. And I think this team—that's this team's identity. They—they they look like such a more confident unit when they are aggressive. And Divinity's getting after the passer. Yeah, it's Divinity on that sack uh, yeah. late in the third quarter. That it—they look like themselves, and um, it'll be interesting to see just how how they approach Bama and you know. Obviously, that's a team that can house – they can take it to the house any single play with those receivers, but it, you, you can't just let them catch balls on you all day long, which they'll do if you let them. Agreed. And and I think the defense really did a good job of stepping up. But on the pass rush game, I'm, early on, Auburn was getting after Joe Burrow. He had the three sacks early on in the game. They didn't allow any after that. They finished with three sacks. That was encouraging because initially – the O-line looked lost, and they pointed out Terrace Marshall's touchdown, Austin Deculus got away with holding. And so that could have been another issue for the O-line. 
credit to them for getting it together and pass protection. And I don't know how much you can fault them for the trouble on the goal line because no. that Auburn D-line is just that good. But yeah. Alabama is not going to be a big step off from how good Auburn's D-line was. No, I mean, this isn't an Alabama defense in terms of, like, first-round picks on the defensive line like we, we said against against Auburn, but it's still a, a very quality team. And it's an Alabama coach team that, that if nothing else, know that they're going to find a way to make the most out of their personnel and uh, make some plays happen whichever way they can. So uh, you can't – you can't go in there expecting the score, and maybe that's maybe that's what's gotten LSU a little bit. I feel like it's gotten to me. I, I feel like I've well, been yeah, I mean that so confident the in LSU coming down out was and the scoring. first time in the red zone this season that they haven't scored. They had a streak of 45 consecutive trips that was snapped in the third quarter. They're now 43 of 44 in the red zone this season. Yeah, I mean you you can't have that happen um, when you're trying to keep pace with Alabama, so that's where you're going to want to be a little bit more effective in a couple weeks. Uh, real quick, let's talk a little Tulane. Um, they go on the road to Navy. They lose 41-38. Could have been worse. Could have been worse. Could have been a lot worse because they were down uh, 24 to nothing at one point. It was um, 21 nothing in the first quarter, and Tulane looked lost defensively. They spotted Navy 21 points and were able to fight their way back. But once they got back within, it was, what, 24-14, Justin McMillan throws a pick six. Um, he had another interception in the third quarter. I've said it before, he's just got to be better if this team wants to be better. You can't have those plays second week in a row that um, he's thrown a costly interception right before halftime while your team's trying to get back in it. So... Disappointing loss for Tulane. It felt like the Houston game where, again, they let the opponent jump out to an early lead. They scratched and clawed their way back. But that Houston team, as we've seen, was... They were gassed. Yeah. Navy's and not gassed. Navy In this can case, go. yeah, Navy and, and Memphis last week. Those are teams that are going to keep on going. And so falling behind early, it's just... This Tulane team is not not many teams are good enough to come back from twenty four nothing, and this Tulane team doesn't. But and look, Tulane's a team that wants to run the ball. Um, they had forty two rushes against Navy, most of them coming from McMillan. Not all called runs, obviously. They're definitely, definitely missing Corey Dauphin and Darius Bradwell um, in terms of running the football, but. I don't necessarily put that game too much in Tulane's offense. I know I'm critical of McMillan and, and the turnovers, but this was a team that was able to get back in it. It's the defense that just – they broke early. I mean, these were walk-in touchdowns by Jamel Carruthers. Um, and you know Navy's game. You know how to play that option. They've done it before. Uh, they just couldn't get it done. And then in crunch time, I mean, they've got less than 25 seconds left, and they let Malcolm Perry scramble and pick up um, – a big gain into field goal range, just a breakdown that can't happen, some bad tackling. Um, so this this is their chance to get back in the win column, uh, hosting Tulsa, who's 2-6. and Because after that, they're right back to it. We've talked about it, but they go to Temple. They're 5-3. and three. They host Central Florida, 6-2. and two. And then the finale at SMU, 8-0. And, oh. and look, man, 
this went from we expect seven, eight wins to all of a sudden. Compete for the AAC. Tulsa, um, I didn't see the final score, but they pushed Memphis, yeah. I believe. Um, let's see. Yeah, it was 42-41. That's right. I think it was a missed field goal late. But in any case, uh, Tulsa's tough. Y'all talked Temple about it on Wednesday on, the on triple coverage. Juan, I, I thought he was being harsh when he said that Tulane might not get to seven wins. I mean. Dude, it's legitimately tough now. Yeah. I mean, I know you got Tulsa at home, but this is a team that uh, Tulane's a team that needs to to, to bounce back. Um, I, I'm not going to say that Memphis lingered. I, I didn't get that feeling that that loss lingered into Navy, but they just didn't execute defensively early, and you can't have those mistakes. Uh, you know, you they were close to being a top 25 team. Now they don't. I don't know if they belong in the top 50. You can't have those mental errors, and then like you mentioned, the rest of the schedule it's not easy, and uh, they're going to have to fight for for these wins yeah tough loss for Nichols as well yep uh turnover in overtime Kendall Bussey fumble cost them um Abilene Christian for a second straight year defeats Nichols State first Nichols home loss since November of 2017 they lost to Southeastern back then uh they've been absolute money at home they started the uh the season on the road this year is a tough slate bounce back um Look pretty good at home, get beat by Sam Houston State, and then you think this is a game they should win, and, and five turnovers will do you in. Five turnovers will do anybody in. That's that's what caught Nichols. Southeastern, though, was able to bounce back. I was going to say we'll end on a high net with Southeastern 52-13 to over Houston Baptist. Ran it up, man. Uh, Chase and Virgil had a good game, 388 yards passing. Uh, I believe three, three touchdowns. touchdowns. Um, Cole Kelly came in. Had some strong work, too. Ran the ball well. They had a 97-yard pick six from uh, Ferlando Jordan. Sure did. Um, if you were up after the World Series and watching Fox 8, you saw that that return. Um, so good to see them bounce back. They finally broke their trend of slow starts. They were out and running early. Had an 80-yard touchdown uh, to start the game to go up seven and never gave that lead back. So um, good for them. Hopefully they can bounce back because I do think – uh, with Nichols losing, Southeastern was ranked. You finish hot if you can beat Nichols, especially on the road. There's maybe an opening there yeah. for Southeastern for a playoff berth. Um, but they're gonna have. I think they got to win out. I think Nichols at this point probably needs to win out. That perception's wearing off a little bit um, within the Southland, and and it would be really disappointing if Nichols wasn't able to close strong. So we'll see how they finish. They're both back in action this this upcoming weekend. Southeastern hosts Stephen F. Austin who is 1-7, and seven. so that should be a win for Southeastern. Start racking them up. And then Nichols, we'll see. They're on the road at Incarnate Word, who's 5-3. and three. Yeah. Still plenty of time to turn around, though. Yep. Tough slate. Got to get it done. For now, that is going to do it for us on Overtime. But before you guys go, a quick request and reminder to subscribe to this podcast. Please rate and review it and tell your friends to help us spread the word. And if you want to get in touch with us, again, especially for this podcast, Hit up the Tiger Huddle app. We get in the emails. We check them. Uh, we want to answer your questions when we talk Tigers and when we talk Tulane, Southeastern, Nichols. Use those apps. For now, that'll do it for us. We'll talk to you next time on Overtime. At Keesler Federal Credit Union, if it's important to you, it's important to us. Here, you're more than a customer. You're a member. And we're more than a financial services provider. We're your financial partner with a genuine interest in your life. 
So whether you want the best rate on a credit card for the things you love, a home loan for the people you love, or savings and checking that work as hard as you do, we've got you covered. And that's a good thing. From Fox 8 Sports, this has been Fox 8 Overtime.